Hello and welcome to the show. This is Sam Eric and we are live from Helsinki and uh, we are now currently broadcasting between Helsinki and London. A very warm welcome. Now, my guest today, I'm very pleased to invite a special guest, uh, uh, Philip Bowen, who is the CEO of Forbes Travel Guide. Now, uh, Philip, we have met uh, during some various events in Malta, and uh, I was fascinated about his straightforward views about where the hospitality is uh, moving and also where it should be in order to cater for uh, the high-end market. But there are also other issues like the sustainability and et cetera that we're going to touch on. So hello, Philip, and uh, welcome to this uh, segment of uh, the Social Hotelier Show. Hi, Sam Eric. I'm uh, very pleased to be here. Thank you. Well, it's very nice that we could on this uh, notice uh, get you I know you have had a busy schedule. You were, you were in Las Vegas with the Star Awards, and you, I know you had a very busy year last year. But uh, uh, glad you have now, you looked like in a very relaxed mode, so you can have time to have a chat with me and the viewers. Yes, I, uh, I just came back from Vegas a few days ago, so I'm now back over the jet lag, so everything is perfect. E Feeling good. Excellent. We have uh, some viewers now from Stockholm. Uh, Camilla from Stockholm is here. So hello, Camilla. Warm welcome. And there are more and more people coming here. All right, so uh, uh, let's start then to take a look at uh, uh, the Forbes Travel Guide. And uh, if you can share now with the viewers a little bit more about uh, the business model. And you've been on board as a CEO now from uh, this is from 2019, and you're, you've been really moving forward to uh, make a huge impact in the market with the Forbes Travel Guide. So uh, uh, if you could share with us, so. What is the Forbes Travel Guide all about? Well, uh, Forbes Travel Guide, first of all, was born in 1958 in the United States, and it was first named the Mobile Travel Guide. Um, currently, we are the only independent global rating agency in the world for hotels, restaurants, and spas. We verify luxury, and to us that means we champion, we support, and celebrate all those with a passion for extraordinary service. We currently evaluate 2,000 hotels, restaurants, and spas in 73 countries, so we are truly global. And when I say independent, what does independent mean? First of all, very important, our ratings are not for sale. They have to be earned. Our 55 full-time inspectors worldwide book, stay, and pay like every normal guest would do in a hotel. So they remain totally incognito, and the hotel doesn't even know that they have been inspected. Forbes Travel Guide, we do not differentiate between small, large, independent, or branded hotels. The design of the hotel can be ultra-modern, it can be lifestyle, it can be contemporary, it can be classic or timeless. We do not differentiate between the hotels. To give you an example, our Hotel of the Year, which was awarded uh, last week, is a 20-bedroom hotel outside Vermont in Canada, and it's called Twin Farms and it had a score of over 98%, which is quite exceptional. We announce our ratings once a year, and we just celebrated our award winners in our Verified Luxury Summit in Las Vegas. 
And the 700 top hoteliers present there are now calling this yearly event the Oscars of the hotel industry. Wonderful. Is this now by invitation only for this event, or how does it work? First of all, we invite the new five-star winners, which this year was 107 between hotels, restaurants, and spas. And then we also invite the owners and the general managers of the existing five- and four-star Forbes hotels. Yeah. So what do we evaluate in hotels? We evaluate 900 standards in total between hotels, restaurants, and spas. Of course, we inspect the quality of the hardware, the product, the cleanliness, and other aspects of the hotels. But 75% of our standards are about service and especially the emotional and human components of service. It's all about how does the hotel make the guest feel. Only 268 hotels worldwide have achieved the Forbes five-star rating so far. London leads the way with 19 five-star properties, followed by Paris and Macau with 13 each, and New York with eight. Why is it so hard to achieve a five-star award? The hardest service classification to achieve is graciousness, thoughtfulness, and sense of personalized service. This is all about employees providing intuitive and anticipatory service. And I'll give you an example. Use the guest name at the right moment, not in every moment and not at every opportunity, but the right moment. Show genuine interest and concern for the guest and deliver special requests seamlessly. We always say that if we make the guests work and think harder, luxury disappears. That's a fantastic way of putting it, really. And let me give you an example of what I mean by service. This year, I mean, last year, I started in October of 2018. So last year, I visited 330 hotels worldwide. I didn't say I stayed in all of them, but I visited them, met with the teams, with the general managers. So I went to Istanbul, and one of the problems when I stay in a certain city is that every night I need to move hotels because every hotel wants me to stay with them. And obviously, this is not the most uh, easy way to get around, but anyway. So in Istanbul, I was staying at the Chiran Palace, the Kempinski, beautiful hotel right on the Bosphorus. In the morning, I check out. I leave my luggage at the bell at the bellboys, and uh, I was planning to come back at night after my meetings, pick up the luggage, and bring it to Raffles in uh, Istanbul, where I was going to stay the, the next time. So, in the afternoon, in the middle of the meeting, I get a little text from uh, my butler at Raffles, and she says, "Dear Mr. Boyan, I've taken the liberty to move your luggage already from the Kabinsky to our hotel. And I look forward to seeing you tonight. And by the way, can I unpack your luggage? And I said, of course. So at night, I arrive in the hotel. At 8 o'clock, I walk into my wardrobe in my room. There's all my suits. They are clean. They are pressed. There's my shirts. They are laundered. They are pressed. My shoes are polished. Beautiful. But you would expect that of great butler service. Yes what you pay for. But then I walk into the bathroom and there's this little beautiful handwritten card and it says, Dear Mr. Boyer, while I was unpacking your luggage, I noticed that your toothpaste was running low. 
So I took the liberty of replacing it with another tube, right? <laughs> that for me is service. Service is not always about the big things. Service is about the little detail that delight you and that are memorable, right? And that is what creates loyalty in our dads. And those are the most things that you probably remember for a very, very long time. You may not remember always what the room looked like, but that small moment totally. that made you the impression will be with you for a very, very long time. And when you have to go back to that location or area, that is the hotel where you're going to probably stay at. Totally, because last year I walked into a hotel, I think it was in New York, and um, it was 11 o'clock at night that I arrived. They knew that I was leaving at 7 in the morning. And in the room, I find a huge fruit basket. I find a bottle of champagne, a bottle of red wine, and a cocktail setup, because, of course, they found out that I like a good Hendrix and tonic with cucumbers. So I had everything there to make my cucumber and my Hendrix and tonic. And then the next morning, I have... Uh, I have a meeting with the general manager at 6.30 at breakfast. And I told the general manager, I said, guest preferences is wonderful. But if I'm arriving at 11 and I'm leaving at 7 in the morning, why do I need all this? And how, by the way, did you know that I was an alcoholic? <laughs> <laughs> so it's also very important that people think about these things, yeah. right? But anyway, so in addition to the official ratings, which is really our DNA, we also offer support services to our partners by means of in-person and online training. So our executive trainers are really the best. I am very, very proud of them. When we employ our trainers and when we recruit our trainers, obviously the normal qualities, uh, as everybody would expect, a good number of years experience in top luxury hotels. They have to have excellent communication skills, people skills. But we are looking for a little bit more. We want them to be able to inspire because this is the most important things with training, right? Yeah. Each training session is custom made for the client. And what is interesting is we do not train the standards. We train the why behind the standards. We explain to the employees why are these standards there and how do they work to the benefit of the client, which is very important. Also, and, and this is a reason why our training is so popular, with fantastic brands like Four Seasons, Peninsula, Rosewood, et cetera, is that we never mention the word Forbes. So when we go to a client, and let's say we go to a Four Seasons hotel, it's all about Four Seasons. It's not about Forbes. We are simply there to enhance their quality of service and their service culture. And that is, of course, important. Yeah, yeah. We also do quality assessments. For example, there's a lot of hotels that say, Philip, we love the uh, Forbes standards, but we want more quality assessments because one official rating per year is not enough. We want consistency of service throughout the year. And therefore, they ask us to arrange for two or three more quality assessments during the year so they can keep that consistency of service. Uh, we have also we have also a department that develops standards. So, for example, there's a new hotel, and it could be independent, it could be branded. And the general manager calls us and says, "Listen, I have a little problem. I love the Forbes standards, but also we have brand standards, and also my owner has his own service philosophy. So, can you help us and streamline all those standards together into one standard, so I don't confuse my employees?" Because obviously, we've learned a long time ago by experience that if you have more than one standard, it's very hard for employees to 
deliver fantastic service because they need to know where they stand. They need to know what we ask from them, right? Um, what we also do is we have expanded now into verticals because our training department usually and mostly trains uh, service excellence. And of course, service excellence is universal. So we have over the last uh, few years, we have expanded into verticals such as luxury retail, cruise ships, private clubs, care homes, high-end residential, and private aviation. So let's now talk a little bit. Maybe there is some questions uh, that you need me to answer, or I'll move on to what the modern high-end traveler uh, expects, needs, and maybe some trends. Yeah, I, I just looked at uh, uh, LinkedIn here. We just have just some greetings. We have uh, Max von Hellens from Helsinki, who is viewing, and also Pius Furlong, who is based in, in Dubai, who was here. Uh, yes, feel free now to add some comments or questions that you may have uh, for for Philip. This is no extra charge for asking the questions. This is the opportunity now to to just ask, Absolutely. and uh, it can be anything you have in mind. This is a time to ask, and that will help uh, everyone who is viewing to uh, kind of pick the brains now from Philip, who is uh, taking the time to to join us. But uh, at the moment, I don't see any questions yet, so okay. maybe people are thinking. So please continue. So let's talk a little bit about sustainability and social responsibility, because they are certainly hot topics for the moment. Sustainability, social responsibility, first of all, they are no longer a thing that we should think about or should do. They are the right thing to do, and they are a must do. Promoting and marketing destinations is no longer enough. In the spirit of the marketing slogan of Patek Philippe, the, made, the famous watchmaker in Switzerland, we need to preserve and protect and look after our destinations for the next generations. Younger generations certainly take sustainability into account when booking, um, when booking rooms or planning their trips. And we all know that RFPs for MICE business, for large groups, conference and banqueting, already include questions as to how seriously hotels and venues are taking sustainability and giving back to the local communities. Travelers are more and more curious, and they want to discover the best the destinations have to offer. And I have always felt that hotels have to act as facilitators to make this possible. Concierge departments have a more and more important role to play. They are in a position to create and curate these experiences. They usually have a very deep knowledge and understanding of the hidden gems and the must-dos in their destinations. And if I can give an example of an exemplary um, concierge department at the Lanesboro in London, for example, you have Simon Thomas. He used to be the president of the Cléidor, a very, very capable man. Um, and let me give you an example. For example, at the Lanesborough, Mr. Jones usually visits the Lanesborough in London in August. And he books his stay usually a couple of months before, let's say in April. The concierge department, of course, knows that he usually alternates between Paris and London. So one year goes to Paris, one year goes to London. But obviously, they want him to come every year to the Lanesborough in London. So what do they do? They know his preferences and interests, so they know that Mr. Jones liked classical music. 
He likes contemporary art. He likes theater. So what do they do around April when he's usually booking? They write to him and they provide him with a program of classical concerts, art exhibitions, and theater productions that will be available to him when he comes in August, right? So if I'm Mr. Jones, clearly um, it will be a tough choice for me to say I am not going to London because I love this service, right? It is thoughtful, it is anticipatory, and I would be very surprised if Mr. Jones doesn't book his stay at the Mainsborough, wouldn't you? Absolutely, and I, but I, it's, it's very interesting uh, how you talk about the very proactive concierge, because what I'm used to, unfortunately, going to some hotels, that they are sort of sitting in the corner behind the desk and they're waiting for someone to come and ask them for some help. And what you're talking about is very different approach to being a concierge well, these days. And, and you're right. You're absolutely right. And that is in, in, in a lot of brands, uh, the, con the concierge department is under fire. Because exactly for what you just said, I mean, they are very reactive in their little corner, uh, in the lobby, waiting for clients to come and make restaurant reservations, theater reservations. And I feel strongly that usually concierges are very wonderful characters, wonderful personalities. They know the destination inside out. And they are really in a position to help the hotel to lay the connections with the clients. And they should really not be, be, be behind that desk. They should be in the middle of the lobby. They should be greeting guests from the time they arrive. Yeah. And they should proactively um, offer their services and the, and the experiences that they curated, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I had an opportunity to last Saturday evening uh, as, at, the, at the Camp Hotel. It was the 40th anniversary of Cledor, Finland. And uh, this was the first time I, I met all the concierge. And, and there are very outstanding personalities, all of them, and very sort of uh, insightful of what's happening in Helsinki and a lot of fun to be around. And I just want to see, this is a shout out to everyone who is viewing from Cledor, Finland, that... Uh, uh, you are a great concierge. I just hope you, uh, you are seen as one of the uh, angels and also the, uh, truly the ambassadors of your hotel all the time. And uh, uh, it's a huge shout out to them. And uh, I hope the, the message that, Philip, you are, you are talking about also hits home to a number of hotels which uh, maybe are looking at outsourcing their concierge services or something like that. I don't know. Could that make sense at all? No, for me, it doesn't make sense yeah. at all because an outsourced department will never have the service culture, will never have the culture of the hotel. They will never have the feel. Uh, for example, they don't know the guests. They don't know the preferences. I don't think it makes sense at all. Yeah, I agree. But obviously, for that not to happen, concierges need to really be more proactive than they currently are. And I'm sure they will do that because they are, like I said, wonderful characters most of the time. Yes. So we have the word experiences. The word experiences is overused. We know that it's a bit of a cliche, but then again, I haven't heard a better word to, to uh, replace it. But what do I feel are the principles that describe the experiences that modern travelers are looking for? So simplicity, first of all, integrity, authenticity, educational, giving back to the community, connections with local personalities and characters, discover the local way of life, enrichment, adventure, and inner peace. Those are some of the 
if I talk to travel advisors uh, and I ask them, what is it that your clientele wants and what is it that the younger clientele wants? These are some of the principles that they are looking for. Yeah. Another commodity that is becoming very, very popular is time and silence. That is the new commodity. Uh, guests desperately want to unwind and recharge. Our lives are so busy that uh, that is what they are looking for constantly. An example there, the new Equinox Hotel in New York, they make a three-word promise on their website. And the three words are dark, quiet, cool. <laughs> and I have stayed there, and it's quite remarkable because dark means dark in the room. So they have the perfect blackout curtains. You count absolutely, there is not a slimmer of light that comes in. Then they have total soundproofing, total silence in the room. They have amazing all-natural beds. They have air purifiers. They have a sleep wellness program. And all this helps, of course, their guests to truly rejuvenate. That's a great standard. I mean, Econos, are they in the fitness business yes. originally? And now they are into yes. hotels. And now they're getting in the, into the hotel business. Um, and it's an ex-president of Four Seasons that's running the company, and he's fantastic with a great sense of detail and a great sense of spirituality. So it's it's absolutely beautiful. But I also, I, I, when you mentioned about this, that uh, sometimes it's underestimated the importance of sleep. We all talk about we are not getting enough sleep, but now this brand is really taking it to the next level where they are really ensuring that you have the greatest Sorry for the word sleeping experience, if you will, that you really have Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because let's not forget that's the main reason why we stay in a hotel, right? Yes. Is to sleep. So sometimes we forget a little bit to focus on that. So wellness, wellness is a principle that means different things to different people. It's like luxury, right? Um, for us, it's about cultivating our sense of inner peace and health. The spa is still an important hub of wellness. But it's no longer the only way that luxury travelers want to recharge. Enrichment and adventure is closely related to wellness. It's about cultivating our connections to the wider world through flavors, interactions, and adventure. These are experiences that are educational or expand the mind, activities that challenge us physically or mentally and help us understand other cultures or meet personal goals. Culinary tourism is still very popular, but it is no longer only about cooking classes, wine tastings, and Michelin-starred restaurants. It's about experiencing culture through food. And lots, let's not forget that the most authentic local cuisine is found in people's homes. I've seen, in, I've seen in two or three hotels that what they do is the concierge finds very interesting personalities and characters in the destination. And I mean journalists, guides, politicians, writers. And then we offer the guests an experience where they can go to the home of these people, sit around the family table with the kids and the wife, and the wife cooks a, a typical local dinner. The pets are there. And the guests, I tell you, the guests rave about it because it is truly to be connected with the local community uh, in every sense of the world, in every sense of the word, because, uh, and then you have to make sure, of course, that those people are interesting and that they have interesting stories to tell. 
because it's also educational, it's cultural, it's culinary, it's all of these things. Very right? good. You mentioned uh, uh, this is very good information. Now, Pius Furlong, who is based in Dubai, he's asking, in terms of up and coming locations, are there any that stand out? I am just coming to that. Okay. Very good. Very good <laughs> questions. I'm just coming here to popular destination for this year and and uh, looking forward. And I have to say that it it fits in with what I said previously. And it's mostly of the most destinations are a little bit off the beaten track. The modern uh, traveler is looking for something new. Um, over tourism, as you know, is a big problem in our world. Uh, Venice is start is planning now to charge an entry fee for every visitor as of this season, um, and there is a lot of destinations like Rome, for example, the Spanish Steps from June to September. It's totally impossible. There's just thousands of people. But anyway, here are some of the popular destinations: Panama, Lebanon, Senegal, Igadi Islands of Sicily, Frisian Islands of Denmark. Salvador in Brazil, Armenia, Siargao in the Philippines, Tasmania, etc. Of course, Italy remains the number one destination for U.S. travelers, and Greece happens to be the number one destination for millennials. Right? Croatia is Croatia, Antarctica are very fast emerging, and of course, this year Japan, because of the Olympic Games, is going to be incredibly popular. We know that. Wow. Now, a... if we talk a little bit, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I don't see anything about the Nordics. Any uh, are they sort of uh, forgotten? Is the Nordics and uh, the Arctic Lapland forgotten, or is it? No, no, no. Lapland, Iceland, uh, and I just there's this little group of Denmark. So that is certainly not forgotten, right? <laughs> okay. Because if you follow, and I read a lot, uh, all the reports and all the trend reports. I mean, there is there is a hundred destinations, yes. right? I'm just picking out the ones that are uh, mentioned more often than others, sure, right? Sure. Okay, when we talk a little bit about challenges now in our industry, first of all, the current coronavirus, um, I don't need to tell you what an effect it's having. Um, if you have been following the stock markets, you know that it's hitting the worldwide economy also. But, for example, I stayed in Hong Kong in uh, a couple of months ago in one of the best hotels ever built. And this was only the effects of the demonstrations in Hong Kong. And they were already at, at single digits occupancy. Okay, Today, because we are very closely in touch with Hong Kong and Macau especially, because the gaming industry is hurting as well, because they closed the casinos in Macau. And uh, Hong Kong, yesterday I spoke to a GM, they're all at single digits. Every hotel is at single digit occupancy. ADRs have dropped by 30 to 50%. And of course, this is causing uh, a lot of pressure on operating expenses, right? And I don't need to tell you what happens next. Because the problem is with the virus, we don't know where this is going to go. We have no light at the end of the tunnel. And it's the same with the demonstrations in Hong Kong. Paris has also suffered over the last year with the demonstrations. And I, I can tell you, it's difficult enough to run a luxury hotel. And I really feel for those people. And I really, uh, our thoughts are with them because it is a very, very tough situation, right? 
Another big challenge is the turnover of employees. I can tell you that last year in the 330 hotels I visited, the average turnover is around 38% worldwide, which is enormous, right? So that means um, a lot of the leadership is spending their time finding, recruiting, training, and retaining employees, right? It is, it's a very, very tough challenge. Yeah, I'm just um, wondering that uh, with that such a turnover, uh, what could be the reason? Is it something that they don't feel part of the organization or they are not being uh, really embraced about the culture of the, uh, or what are the issues you see or you're hearing about why are people leaving the industry or, or moving away from a hotel? Well, one of, one of the reasons is that there are simply not enough younger, the, the younger generation uh, is not joining the industry in the same numbers as they used to, right? For example, I gave a graduation speech in Lyon University back in April. There was 380 graduates. And then it's heartbreaking to see that if you move forward by two years, only 12% of those are still going to be in the hotel industry, all right? A lot of them will still be in hospitality-related industries, such as asset management, technology, finance, startups, etc., but not physically in the hotel business, right? Why is that? I don't think it's hard to find a reason. It's much harder to find the solutions. Yeah. Because the younger generation has a sense of entitlement. And I can tell you, when I interact with them, I also do some MBA classes there. When I interact with them, they are hugely smart, very interactive, very engaged. I mean, it's really a pleasure to go there and and uh, and practically negotiate with them because it's hard, right? It's more than a conversation because they have very strong ideas. But obviously, in our industry, we also know that we don't, we are not the best payers, especially at entry level. So that's one problem. The younger generation wants flexible working hours wherever possible. They don't like the fact that in the hotel industry, sometimes you have to work crazy hours and you have to work weekends, etc. So that's a problem. And of course, they all start in the hotel industry, but then they realize after a couple of months that, you know, that's not really for them. They can probably make more money somewhere else. And also, I think we need to make sure in the hotel industry that our progression of those people is faster than it currently is because they don't simply, they simply don't have the patience. Yeah, yeah. When I was young and I started as a commie chef, I worked in uh, Michelin star restaurants free of charge sure. just to have the experience and to have it on your CV. And today that mentality is different yeah. and it's not going to change. No. And if we want, and if we want those people in our industry, and I can tell you, we want them in our industry because they are hugely smart and engaged, then we need to change our ways. We need to change our ways and we need to find solutions. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Clear. Yeah. I've been talking a few, I was, uh, having a discussion with a recent graduate from one of the Swiss hotel schools also. And one of the key issues for many of many of the trainees who are a graduate who are going into these programs is that they, they feel that they are left alone, that they don't feel that they are embraced by uh, the leadership of, of the hotel. And uh, and one of the things that uh, they said, well, uh, they, they're not uh, always being listened to. 
they're just left to be their training job as uh, whatever they are assigned to do. So I'm not surprised that somebody is not going to stay in the hotel if they don't feel they're part of the team, if you will. And I think that's something that the, the leadership need to take on board. They have to, number one, listen to them, be uh, empathy and uh, work with them. And because they have, might have some, they probably have some great ideas and then give them an opportunity to, to contribute to the hotel even though as a trainee. That's where... Uh, they they can provide from outside looking in coming from hotel school they might have some great ideas that yeah, and give them credit for what they're doing absolutely true i agree with that on the other hand um if you have somebody coming from university and the university or the institute hasn't managed their expectations correctly and have told them listen you are now the world champion in the hotel industry and he walks into your hotel and he sits in front of the general manager and the GM says, what do you want to do? Well, uh, I come from uh, Lausanne. I come from uh, Glion. I come from um, Cornell. I want to be director of food and beverage. What do you think the GM is going to say? <laughs> right? Yeah. The GM will then say to him the correct thing. Listen, you need to invest 12 to 18 months of your time. You need to go into the departments, into the hotel. You need to learn how they work. And not only how they work, but also what makes those people tick. Yeah. And this is a very important point. And I said that in my speech in Glion as well. You need to invest 12 to 18 months. Because if you're going to be a leader later on, you have to understand not only how these departments work, but what motivates the staff. Yeah. May I just this say, is say, a key, key issue. Very good. I, I just want to say, uh, give a shout out to a few people who are viewing us, our mutual friends, uh, Andrew Adjus Muscat in Malta is saying hello. And Genas from Cyprus. We had a, Wonderful. a discussion last week. So she says hello and warm regards. And also a special hello to Yoni Ahonen, who is vice president from Haga Helia University of uh, Applied Sciences. So he, he is uh, based in Helsinki and a, and a great friend of Malta also. So those Fantastic. are a few people we Fantastic. have uh, watching. Welcome. So, and lastly, um, I'm often asked, what role does technology play in luxury hotels? Um, and in my view, technology, it's very simple. Hotels need to make a choice, right? And in, you know, we rate only top hotels. We rate luxury hotels only. Um, and our hotels, they need to make a choice. Is it going to be high tech or high touch? Yeah. Right? Because... It doesn't mean that technology and artificial intelligence cannot be used to help improve the guest experience. Of course it can. One example is collecting, processing data, guest preferences more efficiently, right? But what is for sure is that technology will never, ever replace the human connection. Yeah. And in luxury, it is all about human connection. Once you lose that luxury, absolutely disappears, right? Yeah. Because human connection for me is the foundation of extraordinary service. So I'm ready now to take some questions, if you have some. Well, yeah, there, uh, uh, Pius has a follow-up question. He was the que he had a question. Well, any thoughts on Saudi Arabia? Because Saudi Arabia has now opened up the country they are aiming at to, uh, to increase their uh, tourism visitors. And uh, any thoughts on on the kingdom of Saudi Arabia as a tourist Absolutely, destination. Because we already do some work in Saudi Arabia. So I've been there four or five times over the last year. 
uh, it is absolutely amazing what is happening there. And I don't think it will ever happen. I don't think it's ever happened, happened, and I don't think it will ever happen again. That a country is investing so much into tourism because, you know, in Saudi, they have the vision 2030. So they plan to have 30 million visitors to Saudi Arabia by 2030. There is five or six mega projects going up. I think in total, 160 to 170 hotels are going to be built over the next uh, five to seven years. Um, it is absolutely amazing. Um, they are going to have to train between 500,000 and a million people. Um, His Highness the Prince is very, very, very much behind those projects. Uh, there is an energy there that is, uh, I can't quite compare it with anywhere else. It is super, super exciting. Um, we, of course, want to play our part there. Um, every big hotel brand already has signed contracts there. Mm. Uh, they have the most beautiful project in my eyes is the Amala project, which is a group of islands off the coast, which is comparable with the Maldives. Oh. That's the level of beauty and attraction that they're going to create. They also have a cultural project, which is very close to Jeddah, which is called the Rea, uh, which is the birthplace of the country. So very important to them. Um, and then various other projects. So uh, I think it's super, super exciting. Super exciting. Very good. Well, that uh, should uh, encourage people who are looking at for projects with their consultants in various uh, interior or architects there's an opportunity Absolutely. there so plenty of things to do there very good and uh, uh oh, says that uh, i prefer high touch hotels rather than high tech that's uh, she just gave a feedback on your earlier comment about high touch to high tech that's good. I like it when people agree with me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shinaz had some very interesting input about the the the, the uh, young the new generation travelers that they say that uh, they don't mind staying in a very luxurious hotel that has been converted to have bunk beds, and so they they spend they sleep with their, their buddies, and but then it's flashback. They have the very expensive backpacks and have the latest digital gear. And they eat in very good restaurants, but not necessarily looking for the, the super duper individualistic luxurious uh, accommodation experience. But they prefer to be with their friends. What, what do you think Absolutely. about that? No, I, I'm totally in agreement because uh, that's exactly how it works now. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of them want all the bells and whistles, of course, uh, but most of them want to have a great experience and a great uh, adventure with their friends. And uh, the place where they stay is not at the end, not the most important. Yes. And we need to take that into consideration as well. Yeah. Uh, more and more, we're going to have a division between our clients. Uh, it will be very clear that those clients want bells and whistles, want full luxury services, etc. But there will be, and that's why lifestyle hotels, to be honest, they are becoming much more popular. Yeah. And boutique hotels as well, because boutique hotels are sometimes in a position to offer a more personalized uh, and more intimate experience than bigger hotels. Yeah. And this is also what younger travelers like. And boutique hotels are also much more embedded in the uh, destination. When I was running uh, small luxury hotels, we had a lot of hotels that had been handed down with, uh, generation after generation. 
So there's a lot of history and culture there. And people can feel that when they walk into the hotel. There's a real sense of belonging and a real sense of homeless of homeliness that they really adore, right? Yeah. How much of your your uh, people who are following uh, what the Ford's Travel Guide provides in terms of different hotels and so on? Uh, what is there? Where is the baby boomer fit in there? Is that the 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 ones who have plenty of time and they are relying on looking at the hotels that you are rating in order to choose the destination? Or how do you see their the importance they of the baby do, boomer, but, for instance? But it's an even mix of the visitors we get to the Forbes Travel Guide website. Mm. Uh, it's an even mix between baby boomers, millennials, and younger generations because. There was a study done last year in November in the States. They interviewed 25,000 high-end travelers worldwide. And what was interesting, what was a total surprise to me, was there was more younger generations that asked for help from travel advisors than baby boomers. Because baby boomers, they have seen it all. They have traveled. They are more savvy, I think, than the younger generation. So they like... They like to do it more online, et cetera. I was really surprised because my idea was that baby boomers would more and more ask the help of travel advisors, but that's not the case. So it's very interesting. No, I, I know this. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking now with a baby boomer who likes to do live videos. So, you know, it's <laughs> these days, it's uh, we like to live uh, for the moment in, in, and using high tech, but we still have that. Absolutely. The difference is that we... We we knew telex machine and we knew fax machine and now, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, I used to make uh, receive bookings from clients with a telex, you know. But uh, uh, we just have to live with Those the time. Those days are and, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. I think we have uh, these are the key questions or that came out of uh, this uh, segment. And um, uh, Philip, I really like to thank you so much for taking the time and providing so much value. And uh, for the for the viewers and for the replay viewers, if you have any comments, please write down in the comment or any feedback you'd like to give. Uh, uh, I will share that with Philip because I think it's good to continue the discussion in, uh, in about this topic. There's a lot of things. First, we learned about the uh, what uh, Forbes Travel Guide and the different services you are providing in terms of the uh, the, the academy and training about the standards. And there are certain hotel chains uh, that are uh, like to have you inspect, uh, like you to inspect them uh, four times, five times a year to ensure that they are maintaining the standards. Uh, we also talked about uh, the needs of the high-end traveler and also the experiences that uh, is the thing. Uh, one of my favorite topic was about concierge because I was last week uh, involved with concierge and I know one very well-known concierge in Los Angeles. She has a Ask Concierge uh, name in, on Instagram if you're watching from Los Angeles. So big hello from here also. And they, she talks about they talk also about that uh, the proactive approach about the Concierge. So that's very good good feedback you are given. And also those lovely locations I have to put in my bucket list to visit. And we all have to watch. Absolutely. <laughs> so. And in terms of hotels, um, just a few facts here. So the the company with the most five-star Forbes hotels, not surprisingly, is Four Seasons, right? They have 44 five-star Forbes hotels. Then there is a few companies that have all five-star. That means every single one of the, hotel in the, of the hotels in the company is five-star Forbes. One of them is Peninsula. They have 10 hotels. All of them are five-stars. And they've just been joined by the Maybourne Group here in London. 
because the Maybourne has Claridge's, Barclay, the Connaught, and they recently bought the Montage Hotel in Beverly Hills, and all four of those are five-star. And then when it comes to boutique hotels, it's a company called Red Carnation uh, that achieved in very small hotels, but beautiful hotels with incredible service. This year, they got another three five-star hotels, which was quite amazing. One in Ireland and two more in London. So those are just a few facts of the top companies. The spas, the five-star spas, most of them are in Mandarin Oriental. Mandarin Oriental is really good at running spas. And then restaurants are basically all over the place. But in Macau, there is the most three-star, uh, five-star Forbes restaurants. Okay. Now, Shenaz uh, is asking, what is true luxury for you, Philip? Well, that's very difficult. Shenaz always asks difficult <laughs> questions. Yes. I mean, true luxury for me is all about service. It's all about service. It's about a feeling. It's about feeling great in a hotel. Um, it's about being the possibility of being and the opportunity of being yourself in a hotel and not to feel pressurized by anybody in the hotel. Um, in a restaurant, for example, great service for me and luxury is a waiter that does not interrupt you five times during dinner and interrupts your conversation and asks if everything is okay, because that is something that makes me very mad. Um, but I think it's about the ability of being yourself and to receive excellent service when you need it, when you need it. And this is people need to be trained very, very thoroughly because it's all about body language. An excellent, an excellent server, only by looking at the person he knows. Does he need something? Does he, does he not need something? Does he want me to come over? Does he not want want me to come over. It's all about body language, yes. about reading people, right? Um, so service for me, there is absolutely no doubt. Very good. We, we talked earlier about uh, uh, when I grew up in the, in, in the industry, I, I, one of my jobs was to write the, uh, the sequence of service. So how should you uh, greet the guest? And my, my favorite stories from the time I was uh, in the pre-opening stage in the hotel and uh, so I wrote according to the standards of the company that uh, in the morning you say, good morning, sir, madam. And so I put uh, uh, sir forward stroke madam, meaning that the staff would then address the person either sir or madam. But the way the staff learned it is they just called everybody sir or madam. <laughs> <laughs> so it leads me to that unscripted to scripted. Uh, you mentioned Absolutely. about the personalities should come out more than yeah. having scripted. <laughs> Totally, because that's also one of our standards. For example, uh, the staff and the employees in a hotel in China or in Burma or in New York, they should act differently. We hate scripted language. We hate that, right? Yes. Because we talk about sense of place. Sense of place, yes, it can happen through uh, design. It can happen through amenities. But it mostly comes through people, Yes. right? And people need to show their character, their personality. They need to share their way of life with the customer. And that, for me, is a sense of place. So they have to greet and they have to talk to the clients in a very different way, taking into account the culture of the destination they are, right? Very good. Now, here is a, a, a question from Karina C. She's assistant guest relations manager. How to succeed in the hotel industry and not get burnt out 
especially for female leaders? That was her question. Any comment on that? Well, I think that uh, female leaders, if I look around and I go to all the hotels, it's, uh, there is a huge increase in female, female leaders, first of all, right? And uh, probably the uh, men are not going to like what I say, but we all know when I was with Orient Express, I put about three or four general managers, uh, female general managers, one at the Copacabana, which, by the way, is still there, Andrea Natal. Um, and various others, and they were fantastic because they have a great sense of detail, number one, and usually they are much better at HR, at human resources. Yes. They know uh, how to treat staff, they know how to motivate staff, and that doesn't mean that they're weak, certainly not, because they can have an iron fist. But I think there is a great future for um, for female leaders, and to be honest, when I was at universities in uh, Grignon, I must say that probably 55% of the ladies, of uh, the students were ladies. So I think there's an absolutely great future for ladies. It's a tough job. We all know that, but it's a tough job for men as well. And yes. women can handle it. So I can't see any problem whatsoever for the future of ladies in, um, in the hotel industry. Well, on that note, I think we will uh, say thank you very much, Philip, for uh, Uh, this hour we have been together discussing about uh, about hospitality, the challenges and the opportunities. So uh, thank you very much. And I'd like to thank all the viewers and all the replay viewers. And I'd like to again uh, say hello to Pius. Thank you for your questions. Naz, as usually, having the tough questions for, for Philip. And then Karina, thank you very much for giving uh, your input. And also Max von Hellens in, in Helsinki and Camilla Sandström in Stockholm, Sweden. So thank you very much for joining. And all the ones who I, for some reason, I maybe didn't see your comments, but uh, my apologies. Uh, uh, I will answer them when I read through the replay to give any kind of feedback and share that with, with Philip. So uh, we will close this uh, uh, thing. So Philip, thank you very much. It's been great. I, I learned a lot as usual by being with you and uh, look forward to having a chat in the future. No, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, everybody, for uh, dialing in, and thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Social Hotelier Show. Make sure to visit our website, b8bhospitality.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes or Spotify, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we appreciate rating on iTunes, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.